Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission to Think. I'm Edvin Rushdian, and I'm glad you're joining me today. Today is a very special day. We are celebrating our 10th episode. This is a great accomplishment and a new endeavor that has impacted my life because it has led me to grow and taught me to have faith to accomplish what may appear to be impossible. I want to thank my incredible team who work endlessly to make all of our projects and resources first class and available to all our listeners. From the bottom of my heart, a big thank you. In our first episode, we spoke of start with what you have and the rest will come. Since then, we have together impacted and reached so many people across the globe, from Canada to Guatemala to Russia and here in the United States, places like Indiana, Michigan, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Connecticut, Ohio, California, New York, Florida, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey, to name a few. This has been truly a wonderful journey, and I want to say thank you for sharing these wonderful moments with me. I want to also remind you that my latest book, Letters to My Girls, is available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. You can also purchase it by visiting my website, erustrian.com. This book is for the entire family. Anyone who reads it will walk away with wisdom for life, gain a new perspective into a father's heart, and read prayers that I pray over and with my girls. Don't forget, get your copy today. And now, let's give ourselves permission to think. Our topic for today is, where is my father? Not necessarily a question of location only, but presence in a child's life. Let's begin with a few questions. Which of these scenarios is the most difficult and which one do you identify with the most? Number one, I don't know who my father is. Number two, I have a father, but he's in and out of my life. Number three, I have a father, but we don't have a good relationship. Number four, I have a father and I hate him. Number five, I have a father and he's physically and verbally abusive. Number six, I have a father and he's a drunk. Number seven, I have a father and he's lazy. Number eight, I have a father. He works a lot. He's a good provider, but I don't know him. Number nine, I have a father I know he loves me, but he's always busy. I have to schedule an appointment to see him. Number 10, I have a father, but he's raising another family. He abandoned me. Number 11, I have a father, and he's a great dad. I love my father. Which of these scenarios do you identify with? These are a few scenarios that people, men and women, boys and girls experience every single day. Homes have been shattered, families broken and torn apart, fatherless children wondering who they are, where they belong with no sense of identity or purpose. I know this because I see it every single day in schools, where our next generation of children are dealing with and struggling with much greater and more complex problems than ever before. I'm an educator, and as I work with children, I, I see and hear their stories and hardships. And when I ask about their families and their dads, with a sad expression, they often reply with, 
My father doesn't live with us. Somehow we have accepted this tragedy as okay and tried to cope and make the best of it. I understand and I know that in today's world, families look very different. And I don't want to diminish the great work many men are doing in a blended family or being a single dad trying to raise children. In fact, I want to highlight and bring to the forefront the need or urgency for us men to do right by our families and children. I, for one, identify with never knowing my father. The only time I saw him was when I was about three or four years old. I don't know what he looks like, his personality, or if I even have any relatable traits. This has been much of my life struggle because I dealt with this throughout my childhood, teenage years, young adult life, and a married life. That's my story growing up. But it's not where I am today. It's not where I wanted to stay. I had to have a moment where I sat down, looked over my life and said, I can either keep living and excusing this irresponsible way of living or I can actually get closure, confront so many of my challenges and start on the right path to manhood and fatherhood. As a man, we all need to have that conversation with ourselves search deep within and identify the areas in our lives where we have these deep gaps and begin to address them. Ignoring them does not make them go away. So here is my question to you. Where are you today in your journey of manhood and fatherhood? This is a very serious conversation because for many of us, we don't know where we are standing and why our lives are the way that they are. And when we look into the past and when we look into our upbringing and even to our own fathers, we get a greater understanding of where we are right now. But it's more important to think about where you want to be in the future. I recently had a conversation with a young man who was sharing with me a little bit of his life story. He shared with me that he has a young daughter in Colombia and he recently migrated here to the States, how that broke his heart, leaving his daughter behind. He began to reflect on his own experience as a father, as a new father. And as we continued the conversation, he began to recall his own uh, experience with his father. He shared with me that living with his father was one of the most difficult experiences of his life. His father was uh, verbally abusive. He was physically abusive. He would beat his mother. He would beat everyone in the house. Uh, I asked him, I said, you know, is your father also a drunk? And he said, no, he, he wasn't a drunk, but it was always about money. And one of the things that he felt impacted him the most was that when his father would go on this um, beating everyone in the house, he would then try to fix the problem with money. And he would just go and buy the family things or give money to the wife or give money to the kids. And but then he would revert back to the same behavior and some of the experience that he began to to recall with tears in his eyes and just talking about it, because I think he still wore a lot of the pain and the memories that were still livid and very vivid in his mind. He as a child, he was telling me that when his father would beat him, he would say to himself, I can't wait till I'm older. I can't wait till I'm older. And unfortunately for him, as he's telling me the story, that experience actually came to pass where he was now a young man and his father went to, um, to beat him as he always had when he would lose 
his temper or anger, and the son retaliated back in beating his father. There, there is something so deeply and profound about that experience. And at the end of our conversation, he told me, you know, I, I just don't want to be that type of father. Um, I have a daughter and I don't want to ever do that to my children. And he had a moment to just reflect and think about his personal life. But that is not just his personal life. It's the story of many men and women who have had fathers who were very strict, uh, who have been very hard with the hand, who have not been able to communicate or articulate in any way, shape, or form their own shortcomings. And they dealt with accordingly to how perhaps their own fathers dealt with their situations. And so we have a lot of adults right now. We have a lot of men right now, a lot of fathers right now who are trying to figure out this thing called manhood and fatherhood based on their childhood experiences. And what we are doing, and I speak for myself in this because this was a great part of my marriage. And when I began, I, I just didn't know how to engage in conversations with my wife. I did not know how to properly lead a home, with, particularly with finances or in the developing our future as a family. There were too many holes in my life. I tried to run away when my wife and I would have arguments. I tried to run out of the house. I would shut my wife off completely and, and not engage. I didn't do it in any way that was physical, but it was. It made our marriage diff, very challenging because I had all these gaps and shortcomings. And so when I go back and I think about this young man's story, you know, it's very interesting. I think one of the things that really impacted me the most was that every time he mentioned that his father would um, mess up or would verbally abuse or beat everyone in the house, he would come back and try to fix it with money. And there's a psychology with that, right? Because I think with a man who tries to fix things with money is like you're trying to sort of take that guilt away from yourself because you think that money solves all the problems. And all of a sudden releases you from your responsibility because you don't have an ability to actually communicate or articulate or even ask for your children to forgive you for your own shortcomings. This is a, a very daunting way of living. And, and I think that there are men out there who, if they have the means, they think that money solves everything. And, and I really think that this is a disaster. You're insulting your kid. It's condescending to your children. And you're saying, to, you're communicating to your children that you can buy them out and that all, of, all the things that you did wrong as a man, all of a sudden it goes away. Let me just buy you this car. Let me buy you this apartment. Let me just um, give you money and you go on a shopping spree because after all, you know, money can solve all the problems. And this goes deeper, deeper. It cuts to the heart when we have young men and young women who have seen this behavior and to uh, to have their fathers um, appease their guilt. And what they do is ultimately they go into these addictions and, and to the self-destructive behavior because the one thing that they needed most from their fathers was not given to them. As men, we need to understand what is our responsibility and what are we called to do. And I hope that through this little podcast that we are sharing in our 10th episode, that we are able to reflect on one of the key principles that for me, and I just want to, again, push our thinking a little bit uh, on just what 
this life and, and looking over my life and thinking about my own experiences, what I have learned and from my mistakes, from my shortcomings and my desire to grow. And so I'm, I want to base this particular talk on Proverbs 22, verse 6. And it says this way, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, one of the interesting thing is that there is a sense of responsibility here given to the parent and, and to say to train up a child in the way he should go. This means that you have to be present and involved in your children's life. You have to be involved in your family. You can't raise up children if you're not in the home, if you're not involved in the family. If all you are doing is just working, 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 and you call yourself a good provider, and that's all you've been able to do, it's great. It has its merit, and it has its, its, its place. But our children, I guarantee you, need more than that because they're going to become older, and the essence and the true things that they're going to need to survive in this world were not ever taught. And so when we look at this particular proverb of 22.6, let's ask, ourselves this question what does that mean and to me when I read this and I came across this this is what it meant to me it's my responsibility my responsibility to train and raise up a child not the government schools or religious institutions it's my responsibility and yours do not abdicate your duties as a father let me share with you a few key lessons that I learned from this text it is my responsibility as a father to train and raise my children. No one else's. I must teach my children the fear of God. I must teach my children the wisdom to understand the difference between right and wrong. This is valuable. I must teach my children and have the responsibility to teach them about values and virtues that are going to help them through life. I must... It's my responsibility to teach my children to have discipline and self-control in order to achieve great things in life. You must sacrifice some things in life in order for them to live those very things that are meaningful to them, set by their values and guided by their wisdom and the fear of God. My children get their identity from me as a result of my relationship with God. I live out that relationship daily. God is my father. And if I am his child, I am obedient. I am not rebellious. I pray and I communicate and I ask for his guidance. I ask him for him to teach me through his word. I lived, I act, and I walk in obedience to my heavenly father. I am made in his image. I live according to his word. This is where our children get to see, wait a minute, my father, my parent is living that which he believes in and believes that God is his father and therefore is going to walk in that relational aspect of it. It's my responsibility to correct and discipline my children. I have to teach. I have to model. I have to have meaningful conversations to help them navigate through these tough terrains of life. I have difficult conversations about their choices, their friends, perhaps even the, the aspect of sexual temptations and all the things, the vices that come through their life. I must be present at home. My children see that they are important when I'm present, when I am engaged. I listen and I ask follow-up questions to show them that I am attentive and I am interested in what they have to say. I am present and I try to spend as much time as possible with them. 
this is important for me and one of the lessons that I have learned, okay, that have established my work and my priority in my life. I don't want to be known in life for being this great orator. I don't want to be known in life as accomplishing as being the greatest author or writing books or having this impact in the world. I want to be known as being a great father. And I want to be known to that by my children. I want my daughters to know and to see that my father was there for me. I want to make sure that my daughters understand that daddy sacrificed so much in order for us to have a great life as a family, not just to see myself as a provider. There's a verse in the Bible in Ephesians 6, 4 that says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We must understand that our wisdom, our understanding, and our knowledge comes from God and through his word. And that we must be able to read this and be able to really decipher what is God teaching me here that I must teach to my children. I must be present. I must be able to listen. But it's my responsibility. It's no one else's. This is something that is very difficult for people to understand. Well, the school is not doing the job. The church is not doing the job. The institutions are not doing it. The government is not doing the job. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. If you wonder why we have the society today, it may be that how many of us have abdicated as fathers and the leaders of our home that responsibility to sit down with our children and to teach them because they need to be taught. They need to be heard, but they also need to be guided because they're trying to draw their own understanding of the world through the experiences that they see in their home, the experiences they have in schools and their community and the environment. So we must be the ones to live rightfully in obedience before God in order for our children to then gain a greater understanding of who God is through the way we live. But if we never had that growing up, it's really daunting because then we, are, we, have, we have been shortchanged and then we don't know what we are giving our children. So those are some of the things that I learned just from that proverb to understand that it is my responsibility to train and to teach and to raise my children so that when they grow up, when they become adults, when they become fathers and mothers and, and leaders of our, of our world and our communities and our companies and our CEOs and our schools and our institutions, they will not depart from the virtue and the wisdom that has been given to us by our endowed creator. Now, let me go into the other aspect of it. Pitfalls to watch out for as men, as fathers. These are the things we must guard and fight off at all costs. Now, this is, I'm going to push some buttons here. Um, some of us might make it really uncomfortable, but these are also areas in my life that I had to address. And I want to remind you again, what I speak of, I've lived through it. It comes from experience. And if you heard the previous episode from failure to wisdom, you would know my heart that I stand here today as a fallible human being, as a man who has had so many shortcomings and out of those shortcomings have come great nuggets of wisdom that I have been able to turn my life by the grace of God, but that I'm focused and I am committed to the things that are meaningful and that I value to my family and to others. So what I'm going to share next, Please hear my heart. It is something that I struggle with and it's something that I keep always at the forefront because of the very things that I know can destroy my life and my family. And so this is a reference that I'm going to make from 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For everything in the world, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let me unpack this a little bit. I'm going to just break down these three very different things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And these are the things that I truly believe that they have been disguised and been um, masqueraded in many ways that have been subtled in our lives. But when we realize it, it's too late to turn these things around and we lose almost everything, right? So let's deal with the aspect of the lust of the flesh. This, 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 this concept or this thought is your sexuality. Um, we have such a, a great influence, there's a great influence, I should say, in how sexualized everything in our society is, from commercials to, to ads, um, to, to TVs, to social media, everything is so sexualized. And why? Is it by mere coincidence? Is it by accident? Or is it intentional? So we must be able as men to protect our sexuality. Uh, there's, it's addictions to pornography, social media hookups with past girlfriends, entertaining seductive images and lingering watching it, condoning and justifying a hypersexualized content. I wonder, uh, I just, just a thought that came to mind, right? I wonder if we put passwords on our phones to protect us from identity theft or to hide our lustful, destructive behaviors from our families. Our children should be able to open our phones and see our history without worrying what they will find. This is perhaps the truest of all reality, that our children should be able to see us watch content on television and know what we are watching because this is so true. If, if, you're, if you're a father, if you're leading your home, if you're a parent, and you're watching things that are objectifying women, and you are, have boys, and you're sitting there, and you're saying, oh, it's, it's fine, it's, it's no problem, you are automatically condoning that behavior, and you're saying, my boys, you can go do that, that's no problem. And if you have daughters, and you are watching programming that objectifies women, you're saying, well, it's okay for the world to objectify you too. Your sexuality is something that you should capitalize and monetize. These conversations are difficult, but many of the things that destroy our homes and destroy the life of men is not understanding the power of sexuality. This is how seductive its power is and how destructive it is because it has been completely um, deteriorated from the perspective that God gave us, gave it to us. There is a, a survey or a research that came out from Covenant Eyes that states the following, okay? It states that 56% of divorce cases involved a partner's obsessive interest in pornography. In addition, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women report watching porn at least once a month. This is a departure from the teaching Christians adhere to the, in their worship. These statistics show that many people are watching pornography at the expense of their loved ones and religious beliefs. This is daunting. And when I see masses flocking to churches, and when we read the statistics and the data, how, how have we lost footing in our society to not address this issue? And, the story, and, and this article that I read went even further to say that women have the propensity or are showing more signs to a, a, a more uh, um, aggressive and rough 
aspects of pornography and they're becoming even more addictive to them. So what is happening to our society? What is happening to our parents and our families? And we wonder why we have such a hyper hypersexualized society in our world today and why our children are being targeted younger and earlier in, the, in life. We don't get we're not seeing the urgency to turn this around. And if our churches are not addressing this and our institutions are not addressing we're turning a blind eye and we're seeing why so many of the problems that we have in our society are going unaddressed. Part two of this is the lust of the eyes. And in this text, it's talking about the coveting and desiring of the material. I want a big house. I want a new expensive car. I need to have this that's really going to make me look right before people and that I can have something. I want big expensive vacations. And I want to address this. Having these things in themselves, okay, is not a bad thing. But it's when these things become the objection, a desire, a passions, and that we lust after these things is when we lose focus. Why? Because in order for you to have these big houses and these very expensive things, it means that you're going to have to sacrifice many things along the way. It means that you might have to work harder. It might mean that you might have to work longer. It might need, mean that you need to sacrifice your time with your children, with your family. It means that you're not being present at home. These things in themselves can be justified in many ways. Well, I want to provide for my family. I want them to have really good things, the things that I didn't have growing up. And the question that I always have and I ask people is like, okay, so what is it that you really want to give your children that you didn't have? And that usually translates to the material things. It doesn't translate to the things of that are meaningful and valuable. I want to give my children the love and affection and the time that I didn't have for my parents. No, it usually means I want to buy them the latest gadgets. They want to buy them the latest phones. Why? Because they want to be liked by their children. Parenting is not about being liked by your children. It's about defining the respect that you have been given by God to lead your home in the direction that he's asked you to. And many times we buy our children out. Why? Because to appease our conscience that we work long hours and to say, well, haven't I given you this? Haven't I given you a beautiful home? Don't you have all the things that you want? And then you wonder why your child misbehaves or has this um, very defined behavior. Not everything can, everything that your child needs in life can be bought with money. And so if our focus over these things and we're neglecting the very precious things that we are, that is our responsibility, we are setting up our children to experience failure at a greater capacity. This is very serious to address. If you're considering working and all your life is to, you want to be known for work, 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 trust me, you're going to reap the benefits of that too. You're going to, but you're also going to reap the circumstances and the daunting results of many times families rejecting their fathers for never being there or the parent for never being there. There are great many men and women who are falling into this vicious cycle, valuing them, their net worth more than their own families. This is the lust of the eye, the coveting of things that many times take us away from our own families. I recently asked my, my 15-year-old daughter, we always have these conversations at the table, and sometimes at the end of the day, it's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting or I'm studying, and she'll come and spend a few minutes with me, and um, we just chat about things about life. And, and, and you know, she, in these conversations, we go back and forth because she sometimes asks me some really deep, profound questions about life, 
And in this particular case, I, I wanted to ask her a question. And, and I, I said to her, I said, um, if, um, if you can ask anything of me, what can you expect from me as your father, right? Um, tell me what will be one or two things that you would desire of me. And she said, that you will always be there for me. And that you will listen to me when I need you the most. Listen to that again. This comes from a 15-year-old girl that when I asked her what would be one or two things that she would desire of me the most, she said that you will always be there for me and that you will listen to me when I need you the most. Our children need their fathers to be present. You matter as a father. You matter as a man in the house to love your wife, to respect her, to honor her, to help her. If the dishes are not done, roll up your sleeve, do the dishes. If the garbage is not thrown out, throw it out. There is no gender jobs in the home. All of us should work together to make our home and our environment peaceful and the best place to come home. When my children walk in, when my wife walks in, when I walk into the home, it is our safe haven. It is our nest. It's where we feel the joy of being home. Many times we lose the love and respect from our spouses because we come in as kings that we want to sit and we want to be served. No, when we come home, this is something that Meg Meeker speaks in her book, Strong Dad, Strong Daughters. It's where we should put the most effort when we come into our homes. We put so much energy and time in our work, but we must also put this great effort and work in our homes. Our children matter. Our wives, our spouses matter. They need to know that we are with them in this journey. We can't leave our wives completely to fend for themselves and just completely take care of the house. Sometimes we are they're given the responsibility of finances, of paying the bills, of rearing the children. And what what is our responsibility? Our job as men is not to see ourselves just as providers financially, but to also be present in every aspect of our home. And this is the third part, the pride of life. This is what gets people, a lot of us perhaps in trouble. Okay, this pride of life, the arrogance, being arrogant, having an arrogant attitude, uh, ostentatious, being ostentatious, presenting yourself as something that you're not. Pride in yourself. Well, I did this. I built this. No one else did. Being presumptuous, boastful, and proud. These are the very things that just completely breaks the heart of God. Why? Because the mere fact that you think or I think that I have complete control of something is negating the fact that our very breath is held in the palm of God. And in this moment you're living is because God has allowed you to live it. If the next day, if, you, if we get to see Tomorrow is because he has allowed you to see it. Every morning I wake up with this gratitude of thanking God for giving me another day. Another day to be of impact, of help, of service. Another day to help someone in need. Another day when my words may be few, but my actions may be many to help others around me. Another day to love my family. Another day to check in with my daughters. Another day to tell my wife how much she means to me. Another day to tell the people who help me each and every day how important they are to me.
When we begin our day acknowledging with humility and great respect for the people who make our lives better or impact our lives, it's a better way to live than presenting yourself in a way that you're lying not just to people but to yourself, all for the sake of appearing a particular way to people who you want to impress and in reality who you really don't care about. These three things, let me repeat them again. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are the very key things that destroy our families, destroy manhood. These are the very things that when I came across, I had to dig deep and search so profoundly in my heart to say, Edwin, is this the way that you want to live? Is this the way you want to raise your family? This is facing the man in the mirror and saying, well, uh, I can excuse my behavior. I can say, well, my father was not there. Uh, the, the men that I had in my life were not really great examples. They were drunks. They were gamblers. They were womanizers. Um, they objectified women. They're, they left babies all over the place. Father, children, and just left them abandoned. The women to fend for themselves. And here's, here's the other thing that I want you to think about. When we give ourselves so much into our sexuality, and we think that as men, we need to prove our manhood to so many women out there, right? That what we're doing is when we walk out of the home is that we are leaving our families and children exposed, exposed to predators, exposed to human trafficking, exposed to every vicious and vile attack on the home. You don't think you matter? As you listen to this podcast and the next episodes that we're going to go into, the statistics and the data on families and fatherless homes, you're going to hear some of the most daunting facts of the impact when you walk out of your home or I walk out of my home. And I got to tell you, as a man, I stand here tempted in many of these areas of my life having to make some really tough decisions and to say, how am I going to answer to my children if I walk away, how am I going to stand right before God one day and say, look, you didn't face this. You didn't deal with these areas in your life. You didn't keep them in your forefront. And walking out of my home, leaving my daughters exposed, because at a, the research shows that earlier you leave, a child is abandoned at home, girls have a tendency of becoming more promiscuous at younger ages and leaving them exposed to sexual abuse and seeking for that identity in the wrong places from the wrong people. Our boys are left to the, the public school systems to de define them and who they are. There isn't parental guidance. There isn't any sense of compass for them to guide and build their life. There isn't a man getting in the grill and in their face to tell them, I love you, and we're going to walk this road together. The majority of men who are in prison and incarcerated, the data shows that is because they come from fatherless homes or broken homes. When are we going to face that reality? We can't blame the government and every other aspect that we can excuse ourselves from not dealing with this. This is my responsibility. And I go back again to what I said, what I learned from the Proverbs. It is my responsibility to look at myself, correct those very things, and take a different journey. I still keep these things in mind. I still keep these things in front of me that I know that at any moment of weakness, I can destroy everything that we have labored as a family to work. I have put people in place to hold me accountable. I have put great men that know me deep and know my weaknesses to call me out and say, hey, Evan, you got to address this area in your life. You're leaving this area exposed. Be careful for doing this or doing that. I have put 
men and women in my life to guard my blind spots because I am human. And in a moment of weakness, we all fall short. Men, women who are doing this work, I was raised by a single mother. And as great and as much effort that my mother tried to raise me, a woman will never under, truly understand the struggles of a man. Only a great man, a man who has taken responsibility, can teach a young man how to be a man, to develop a work ethic, to love for the family and the children, to live, to protect, and to be present at home. We need men in our homes. We got to step up. We got to be present. We got to do the job. We got to put this porn sites to the side. We got to put our sexuality to try to prove our manhood to different women all over the place and leave fatherless children all over the place. We got to address this issue. And if the churches, if, if there's a large percent, this, this is daunting, if there's a large percent of, of men and women involved in in, in the addiction of pornography, we are in big trouble because if, if people in church are supposed to be light of the world, what is happening? Where are we going? Our God-given assignment as men, as fathers, is to be protectors. I'm saying this again because it's important. Is to be providers. Is to be priests and to live accountable for our actions and behavior at home. If you're a man, if you're a father or a husband, get in the game. Get involved, be present, be intentional. We are in a daunting state when we don't see real men taking their place in our homes, in our organizations, in our institutions, in our communities. Men, you are needed. Fathers, you matter. So as we come near the end, I want to give you some last thoughts that have really impacted me to make this transition and looking at my past and growing up without a dad and the many men and women who have experienced different scenarios with their fathers. But keep these thoughts in mind. Number one, don't just pray for your children. Pray with them. It makes a big difference when they see mom and dad praying together and making prayer a priority in the home. Model loving relationships. Yes, you can have disagreements with your spouse, but let them, your children see how you end them, how you resolve them, how you are able to communicate and articulate, how you may have differences of opinion, but you're working towards one common goal that is not divisive and destroying your home. Model what a good touch is versus a bad touch. What's a good touch? A good touch is giving your spouse a beautiful hug, touching their back, giving them gentle uh, touch of the hands or holding their hands. A bad touch is smacking them across the face, pushing them, shoving them. A bad touch is completely um, just violating their space and just diminishing their value and their worth through any physical abuse. And then later on, you're going to tell your wife, I love you. And so what we're communicating to our children is, particularly when they're younger is, well, I see my father hit my mother and then he says he loves her, so I guess that's okay. And the image that we're projecting or modeling to our children is, 
Well, that's the way I think it should be done. And what would our children look for, our daughters would look for, is to have men who beat them and later on tell them, it's okay, I love you. Or men who think that hitting their, their a woman or a girl, it's okay, because as long as I say I love you, or as long as I just give you money, it makes all the problems go away. Model loving relationships. Number three, make learning about God a priority. Put it in your calendar. Model what a relationship with God should be and should look like. It means that, yes, you're a human. You ask for forgiveness. You repent before God. You ask for God's um, hand to lead you. You ask for his presence, for his provision. You ask for God to teach you his character. When we lose it, when we're angry, when we're frustrated, we model how we come to God and ask God to help us through that work. Number four, ask your children what they are struggling with. Walk with them. Let them know you are there. Listen to them. Ask follow-up questions when they are speaking. Let them know that they matter. Let them know that their problem is your problem. One of the things that I see usually with when, with little kids who are like four or five years old is that they get this little tiny cut in their finger. And oh my goodness, they, they, they just make a big deal of it. They, they, they'll come to you and say, look, look, this is, look my cut. Like I need a band-aid, like call a doctor or a surgeon. This is so big. And you know, quite often we lose as adults the sense of wonder that to a child, that little cut, think about this too. If for a child, a little cut seems so, so significant and so big. Can you imagine in the long term how the cuts of the heart that you and I have given to our children with our words, with our behavior, with our inappropriate touches, how much do those scars really weigh on our children, even into adulthood? There is no Band-Aid big enough to put on a heart broken by a father. Think about that. Measure your words when we speak to our children, to our young men, to our young Girls, measure your words because they cut through the heart. And those words are very difficult to take back. The words that children hate to hear from parents or for their father is, I am disappointed in you. Why did you do that? Sometimes, as I mentioned before, we as parents sit on a judgment throne, judging our kids to meet our approval. I've had conversations with my daughter where I said, whatever I accomplish in life has been for me. And I never want to cast a shadow over your life. You have to find your way in life. You must find your way. And that means, yes, in life making mistakes. And like I mentioned before, it's hard to let our children fail. It's hard to let our children, but our job is to be there to pick them up and to guide them and to teach them that, yes, you got to own your choices, but you must keep going. What did you learn from this? And number five, may your children never wonder how much you love them, especially with discipline. Discipline is not a sign that you don't love your children. Discipline is especially for young children, for young kids, is to know that you love them much and that's why you're disciplining them. And that necessarily means that you're going to pull out the bell and let them know that you are there, that you're in charge. No, that's not necessarily the case. There are moments that perhaps is needed, but most importantly, the discipline is that you teach your children from right and from wrong, and that you have reaffirmed them that you're walking with them. You are never to walk away from your children when they need you 
the most. You must be present. No one else is going to be there for your children. And if the people who are going to be there is going to be the wrong people. In a conversation I was having with a good friend, we were talking about that it is important who has your children's ear. Is it the school? Is it social media? Who has your children's ear? Is it you? How do you know? We have a great responsibility. We have a great moment in time. Let's not miss it. I want to end by reading a prayer that I wrote at the end of a letter in the book that I wrote for my girls. And this prayer reads as follows. Dearest Lord, my heart is full and at peace. You have blessed me beyond my wildest dreams. You have changed the trajectory of my family and future generations. And you have shown so much mercy toward me and my family. I live in complete awe and gratitude for how you love. This simple prayer is to say thank you for saving me. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for all the life lessons that have taught me to love, forgive, care, and give. You truly are the father to the fatherless. Please watch over my girls. And although I know they will need to go through life's toughest valleys, May they remember that the Good Shepherd will keep them in perfect peace. I bless my girls, and may they never part from your will and the purpose for which they were created, to honor and worship you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Our quote of the day comes from pastor and author Chip Ingram. Knowing how vital fathers are is one thing. Knowing how to be a good one is another. Remember, never compromise integrity for comfort. Till next time, my friends, stay strong. Bye-bye.